Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good morning. If you got your Bibles, meet me over in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we will be spending our time together in the Word to Word this morning. While you make your way there, I want to tell you just a couple of things. Um, I may cough a time or two this morning. Uh, like I should give you fair warning on that. We had a run of the crud over a month ago, and I'm sure as many of y'all know, that stuff just lingers. And so it might be the case for me this morning, but uh, if y'all be gracious with me, I would appreciate it. And the second thing I want to tell you this morning, and I was sharing this with Floyd uh, when I first got here, is that this is a very unique moment for me this morning. Because a lot of people didn't realize this, this is the first time I've ever preached here at Bethesda. And some of y'all who don't know me might wonder, well, why is this that significant for this random guy who showed up at church this morning? And it's unique for me because this is the church where the Lord saved me. This is the church where I grew up. This is the church where the Lord called me to full-time ministry. This is the church where I met my wife. Bethesda has and always will hold a very special place in my heart. And I just want to encourage you this morning, before we we even get into Matthew chapter 6, Bethesda, do not stop investing in the next generation. Because God wants to use you to do something incredible. And I can stand here as a testimony for you this morning that I would not be who I am or where I am were it not for the people here in this church. I mean, first and foremost, I wouldn't be if were, were it not for a Savior who loved me enough to send his son to die for me. But he used Bethesda to mold and to shape me and to put me where I'm at today. So I am, I am eternally grateful for that. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning and um, just that we can spend a few moments together in God's word. So Matthew chapter 6. I don't know if y'all normally do this, but I'm going to ask y'all to stand with me as we read God's word together this morning. Matthew 6, we're going to pick up in verse 5. And Jesus says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we have also, or as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is God's word to us this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we spend the next few moments in your word, we're talking about what prayer looks like. Lord, I pray you would speak to every heart in this room, Lord, right where they're at. Lord, I pray you would use me to faithfully communicate your word this morning. Lord, knowing that it's not me, Lord, that this is your word to your people. So would you bless our time together? Would it be glorifying to you and would be edifying for your children? We ask all this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. So this passage is uh, one that I think that if, if you spend any time in church or spend any time around the church, you've probably heard someone pray this prayer, right? We know this in our culture as the Lord's Prayer. Most of our Bibles would title it as the Lord's Prayer. And so where we find ourselves in the book of Matthew is that, is that we're in the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is teaching his disciples and he goes into this, uh, into this warning about prayer in verse 5. He, he gives us two warnings. So before we get into where we're going to spend our time, I want to talk about verses 5 through 8 here for just a moment, where Jesus gives us two things that we need to watch out for as we talk about our time in prayer. He says, first, don't pray like the hypocrites, because they do it for show. They do it for man's approval. It was a show for them. That these people who, uh, they, they, they would be you know, considered the religious elite or the, you know, the Pharisees of the day. That they knew the law, they, that they knew the scriptures. And then they would go out onto the street corners, they would go out into these places and they would, they would start praying loudly and they would pray very eloquently, right? They would pray in a way that people would look at them and think, man, they must have it all together. And Jesus says, don't do that. He says, actually, let's do the opposite of that. He says, go into your room in secret, and that's where you should pray. He's not saying there's anything wrong with praying in public. He's saying that our hearts have to be conditioned and postured to pray the right way. Because there's a pride and an arrogance that can breed from this kind of praying. Because it's, I want to be seen. So instead, Jesus tells us, pray in secret. Pray where it's just you and God, because that's going to remove room for idolatry, and it's going, to re- it's going to remove room for the wrong motivation for prayer. The second warning that he gives us here is don't use empty phrases. He, he, he warns us against praying just for the sake of praying, right? Maybe you've done this. I, I, I'll admit freely that I've done this on many occasions where you hear someone pray, and they say something, you think, oh, that's good. I'm going to write that one down for later because I can use that one. Y'all ever done that? Where we, where we just we kind of bank up these, these things that sound really good, and we think, man, I'm, I'm just going to pray these things so that I sound good. In our culture, it might look like praying for a meal. And I will freely be the first to admit, I do this. 
where I have this prayer that I pray before I eat, and it's just more of a, in many cases, it's I'm going to pray for this because that's when we're supposed to pray. This is the thing I'm supposed to pray for right now. And Jesus warns us against, don't just use empty phrases, because doing this can lead us more into ritual than it does into relationship with Jesus. So then Jesus transitions here. This is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. Jesus transitions and he gives us a model for prayer and what our prayer should look like. And you've probably heard someone pray this thing verbatim before, right? At some point in your life, you've spent any time in church, you've probably heard someone pray this word for word. And it's, it's kind of funny in a sense because we've done the very thing that Jesus tells us not to do. We've turned this into just a thing that we say versus a model that we follow. Because Jesus doesn't say pray this. What does he say in verse 9? He says pray like this. So Jesus gives us our blueprint and our guideline for how our time in the word should look. And I believe that Jesus shows us a few things. He outlines for us a few things this morning that our time in prayer should do. So Jesus sets the stage for us and shows us that when we pray, our prayers should acknowledge God's glory and his agenda. Our prayers should acknowledge God's glory and his agenda. Look me back here in verse 9. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. We're going to pause right there for a second. He uses that word, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He uses that word hallowed there. And I think if we, if we just blow past that, then we can miss something very important about how we address God in our time with him. That word hallowed, it literally means holy or set apart. That Jesus says that when you come before him, that you ought to acknowledge the very character of who God is. I think about it in uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, who is a prophet, he, he has this vision where he stands in the throne room of God. And we get this picture, right, of, of, of Isaiah, and he says that the, the train of God's temple, that the train of God's robe filled the temple. And you have this picture of the seraphim, and they're, and they're singing and they're worshiping, they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah's response is pretty unique. And he, what he says in this moment is, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And he says, And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah's response to being in the very presence of God was, Woe is me. I'm a sinner. He is so holy. And the very presence of God would, would completely consume us. And you know what Jesus says? He says we get to stand in the presence of that same God. That we get to come before him in prayer and we get to say, Our Father, hallowed, holy, set apart are you. We get to come before him and the only right response for us when we pray is to come before him in worship. That's how Jesus tells us that our time with him ought to be set up, is that it ought to be a time of worship because we recognize that we're communing with the God of the universe. 
But then he also, if you, if you pick up on that word there, that this same God who literally holds all things in his hand, whose very glory would consume us, that we get to call him not only Lord, but he says we get to call him Father. That we get to come to him as his children, recognizing him for who he is. And you may think this morning, you know, well, God knows my heart. If God knows all things and you know, he knows my heart, and you know, well, why should I pray? Why does prayer matter? Well, that's not how relationships work. I think about it like uh, my, my wife and I, we joked this week that we, we start a lot of conversations that we never finish. It just seems to be a trend in our household, you know, because sometimes we're just flying past each other with schedules. And, but if we never had time to, to spend together and to talk and to build a relationship and to love one another, our marriage w- w- would not be good. It would probably be non-existent. And that's the way our relationship with the Lord works, is that God, God says, come to me. Because not only are we addressing him as Lord, we get to address him as Father. And then he says this, continuing on in this prayer, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is, a, again, if you notice, this is God kind of setting up the posture for how we pray, that we acknowledge God as holy And then we pray, Lord, I want your will to be done. Have you noticed that so far in this prayer, Jesus has, there has not been one ask in this prayer so far. There has not been a single moment of God, do this for me, or God, I want this, or God, I think I need this. That the posture of our heart in prayer is simply, Lord, you are holy and I want your will to be done. And you want to know why Jesus has to tell us this? Because our default, where where we land by default, is, Lord, make me more comfortable. Most of our prayers are centered around this idea of, Lord, I just want you to do the things that I think I need, and I want you to make me comfortable in this life. That's our default, and our prayers are centered around what we think we want and what we think we need. Our default setting is to pray, Lord, make me comfortable. And the truth is that it reveals our heart. It doesn't mean that that, that we can't bring our needs and our concerns and our heartaches to God. It actually means the opposite. And and I'll show you how I know that. Verse 8 of this very passage, Jesus says, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. There is not a single thing that weighs heavy on your heart that the Lord does not know about and empathize with you on. He knows the things that are going on in your life, and he desires that we bring those things to him. We can and we should bring our concerns and our needs to God. But what Jesus is showing us is that God's glory and his agenda ought to be the first thing on our minds and on our hearts. So much so that even when we're in the midst of trials, even when there are things in our lives that are not right, that we are solely focused on him his glory, and his kingdom. That, Lord, right now, things in my life, man, this situation, my, my marriage is in trouble. My, you know, I think I might lose my job. I might go through all these things in my life, but, Lord, ultimately, I might think I know what I want in these things, but ultimately, I, what I know I need is you. 
that I may not understand what God is doing, but his glory and his agenda should be the first thing on my heart and out of my mouth when I come before him. Our prayers ought to be, Lord, all these things are in my life and in my heart, and they're weighing heavy, but the only thing I want is your will to be done. Our prayer should acknowledge God's glory and his agenda. Secondly, Jesus reminds us that our prayers should acknowledge God's provision and our dependence on him. Our prayers should acknowledge God's provision and our dependence on him. Look back with me in verse 11. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is really the first ask that God models for us in prayer. And it's not an ask for for things necessarily. If you think back to Exodus chapter 16, the people of God are in the desert, and, and, and what does he do for them? He supplies bread from heaven. Now, Y'all may not know this, but I figured out where you can get that bread from heaven this week. Um, it's over at the Texas Roadhouse. They bring those rolls out, and they bring you that butter. It's good stuff. But in all seriousness, that what God was conditioning his people to do, because what he tells them is he provides what they needed for the day. And he says, take no more than that. He says, as you, as you gather up what you need, take what you need for the day. Not what you need for the week, not what you need for the month. Take what you need for today. And you know what God was doing to his people in Exodus chapter 16? He was showing them that not only could he provide for them, but he was building their trust that he would provide for them. Day by day, moment by moment. And that's what we're conditioned to do in our time with the Lord is, Lord, give me today the things that I need. Because this isn't ask for sustenance. This isn't ask for physical sustenance, but it goes further than that. Because we're asking God to supply the things that we need for the day. Because we recognize that unless God provides for us, we won't make it till tomorrow. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, unless the Lord provides those things for us, we will not make it to tomorrow because it's him that sustains us. He's the one that keeps us. He's the one who provides all that we need. We sing, great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed, your hand hath provided. We're reminded that we are completely dependent on God to sustain us and we can't do life without him. That it's not about the things that I think I need. It's that, God, I need you to supply me with those things because I don't need something from God. I need God. We don't have the ability to even breathe without him. I don't know about y'all, but I'm grateful that I don't have to remember to breathe. Because I probably would have died a long time ago. That God just, in his providence, just the way he designed us, that, that we just breathe because we know that we need to do it. It's just a normal function of our body that even in, even in the things that seem so trivial, trivial is that that God provides for us. Because y'all may not realize this, but that's not our oxygen. He, that's his. 
that God's loaning that to us. That's a gift of his providence because none of us have lived a single day that was not a direct result of God's love and his grace and his mercy to his people. Not a single one of us because he's the one that sustains us. I'm going to talk about my wife again because it just seems like the right thing to do. One of the things I realized recently was that I don't know how on earth I survived before I was married. Don't have a clue how I did it. Because we run out of things in our house. Tanner, you're going to figure this one out, man. We run out of things in our house, and then she just comes around the corner with more of it because she's got a stock somewhere. I don't know where she hides this stuff because she, she thinks ahead. I, I can't think more than, more than one minute ahead. She's thinking two months ahead. We always have a supply of the things that we need, and that's just a beautiful picture of the gospel that when I'm running on fumes, God continues to provide the things that I need in abundance. Because it's just how good he is to us. That he gives us all the things that we need because it's him that sustains us and he wants us to trust him, not just week to week or month to month. He says, trust me day by day and moment by moment. That he is as good as he says he is and he will do all the things that he says he will do. Third, our prayers should then cultivate a life of holiness. Our prayers should cultivate a life of holiness. Look with me in verse 13. <clears throat> and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Look, the first two things that Jesus shows us in this passage that our lives ought to be about God's glory and about his mission and about all the things he's doing in our lives and his will being accomplished and then that, that we ought to acknowledge the very provision that God gives us in his grace and his mercy and his love. And then he, and then he wraps it up with this that we ought to, we ought to Live a life of holiness in response to all the things that God has given to us. Because if I acknowledge God's holiness and I set my eyes on him and his will and I understand his role in sustaining me, then my natural response is this, Lord, I want you to keep me from the things that would take my eyes off. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.